This evening, we open the Word of God first in the New Testament in two passages. First, in Matthew chapter 21, of which we read the verses 6 to 16, and then Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 through 9. Matthew 21, verse 6 to 16, and Hebrews chapter 2. So this is the Word of God, as we hear it in Matthew 21, starting at verse 6. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the Son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? We now turn to Hebrews chapter 2, of which we read the verses 1 through 9. Hebrews 2. There we continue to listen to the Word of God where we read, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man? that you are mindful of him, or the Son of Man, 
that you care for him. You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At the present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Now we turn to our text in the book of Psalms, which is Psalm 8. Psalm 8 is our focal point this evening. It's a psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet... You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, or as some manuscripts have, than God, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the fields, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That's our text. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, reading Psalm 8, brothers and sisters, you would be inclined to think this is too much honor for man. True, man is the crown of God's creation. However, looking at the world in which we live, can you suffice with saying you made him little lower than the heavenly beings? Or as I said, some manuscripts have lower than God? The least we should do is add, but man is not making much of it. Considering what kind of a world man has produced, we should at least amend the impression Psalm 8 gives of man. A world in which unborn children are killed, where millions of people are suppressed or exploited, where the environment is corrupted by exploitation for man's selfish pursuits, etc. Such a world does not really attest to the greatness of man. 
perhaps when we consider what man has accomplished in his world, we can agree with the psalmist to a great extent. We may be impressed by the many applications of science in everyday life, like the computer development, telecommunications through satellites. We could be amazed by products of architecture or pieces of art. When we see the gifts and talents of people at work, we might exclaim, you made man little lower than God. At the same time, however, there is a downside to it all. Abortion, euthanasia, concentration camps, massacres, pollution, and so forth. The list seems endless. The world of man is a world of contrasts, ambiguities, and split personalities. Little lower than God? Certainly there must be more to it. Well, sure, but what? Do I want to imply that the psalmist is somewhat one-sided in his observations? Brothers and sisters, the reason why we run stuck with our observations regarding Psalm 8 is the fact that we easily take the wrong focus. Psalm 8 is often mistakenly interpreted as a song about the greatness of man. The poet, however, is not praising man and his abilities, but is singing a song of praise to the Lord, our Lord. When David is writing Psalm 8, he does not intend to praise man's accomplishments and achievements, but rather God's glory and the greatness of the Lord's glorious name. The framework of this song of praise is seen in the first and last sentence saying, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Therefore, we hear this message in the word of God. Sing praises to the glory of the Lord's name. And then we see two things. How he has manifested that glory. And secondly, how he has maintained that glory. So I summarize the message of our text as follows. Sing praises to the glory of the Lord's name. We see first how he has manifested that glory. And secondly, how he has maintained that glory. How he has manifested that glory. So Psalm 8, brothers and sisters, is about the glory of the name of the Lord. It is in that framework that David sets his song. We could also say that this psalm is founded on the pillars of verse 1 and verse 9. Namely, David's confession, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. David confesses God's name as Lord, capital letters, Yahweh, God of the covenant, and our Lord, Adonai, the God who rules the world. In his name, the Lord manifests himself, reveals himself as he is. The Lord, as God of the covenant, has revealed himself as the faithful one. 
He keeps his word. He fulfills his promises. Although he is the almighty God and sovereign Lord over all creation, he has united himself to man in his covenant. At first he did so to Adam, while later on he continued that covenant with Noah and again later with Abraham and his seed. At first in the covenant of favor, while later in the covenant of grace, the Lord made known his love to man, and he demanded man's love to God. And as creator, he has a right for this love, and man owes that love in the dedicated service to the Lord. That's how the Lord revealed himself. The Lord made himself known, especially to his people, through Moses. He gave Moses his word, which was a testimony to his great power and glory in creation. It also manifested the name of the Lord in his work of redemption. It is on the basis of this word that David comes with his confession in the form of this song of praise. In all creation, David observes the glory of the Lord's name, beloved. He wants to sing about that. His heart is filled with amazement about it. From verse 3, when I behold your heavens, the moon and the stars, we may conclude that he probably became so impressed at night while standing under a star-studded sky. The vastness of the firmament and the beauty of the light bearers in it are to him clearly a manifestation of the majesty and glory of its creator. What a glory! What a creation! What a creator is the Lord, Yahweh, our Lord. And the fact that he repeats this confession in the last verse clearly implies a call to the people of the Lord to praise the Lord as well. The congregation should not praise man, but God. We all are called to identify with the psalmist. At the same time, the Lord comes to us in the psalm. Psalm 8, therefore, also is a word of revelation. God manifests himself in it as our Lord and our creator. <coughs> How relevant this is indeed for us today. We are living in a time in which the true knowledge about God is obscured very much. The glory of the Lord's name is eliminated either by a thinking in terms of the evolution theory or by the confusion caused by the New Age movement, which sees God's being in the creatures and in nature. No, says David, heaven and earth, angels and men have to chant the glory of the name of the Lord Yahweh who is our Lord, the creator and ruler of the universe. Especially in a time in which even so-called Christians 
deny the confession of God's creation and providence, and the name of the Lord is disappearing more and more from public life, this song of praise may not be silenced. Why not? Well, because the Lord has manifested the glory of His name, not only in creation, but also in His work of redemption. As David increasingly is impressed, brothers and sisters, by the greatness of God's creation, there under the starry sky, he also comes to realize who he himself really is. A weak human being, an Enosh, a man of dust, a mortal man. Hence David also exclaims, What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? For David is aware as well of another side in this world, aware also of such of much disharmony. In creation, he speaks about foes, about enemies, and the avenger. These enemies destroy this creation. They scorch the land and exploit the earth. Feeling small already in the midst of this vast universe and the overwhelming beauty of creation, David becomes even more amazed by the fact that this great and glorious God would even think of man, making a covenant with him, or pay attention to man, considering how weak and puny he is compared to the almighty ruler of the universe. As a matter of fact, beloved, that's even more the crux, the center and the heart of this psalm. Psalm 8 praises even more the miracle that the Lord our God is not only the Creator, but especially our Redeemer. In that work of redemption, the Lord has manifested His glorious name even more. Really, it is for that work especially that the name of the Lord should be praised. David's expression of amazement about the fact that the Lord is mindful of man places this work of redemption in the center. Literally, he says, what is man? You remember him. And the son of man, you are visiting him. Remember the song of Zechariah? Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. That's the work of redemption in which the Lord showed his mercy, not just over this small, this tiny man, but over the man who is weak and mortal due to his sin and guilt. The Lord did not write off any piece of his creation. The Lord did not reject man for his plan of creation. The Lord redeemed man and creation in order that his name may be glorified even more. Thus, we must also read this Psalm of David in the light of that anticipation of the Lord's work of recreation, beloved. God wanted to restore man 
In fact, on the basis of the promised Son of Man, God did restore man. Immediately after his fall into sin, man could taste the goodness and grace of the Lord. He manifested the greatness of his name, Yahweh, by maintaining man's mandate. And now in the covenant of grace. Even though the fallen man would execute his duties of his office with pain and tears amid thorns and thistles, nevertheless, the Lord did restore man in his position as viceroy over creation. That's why David says in verse 5, Yet, yet you made him little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. That's only possible on the basis of the mother promise. That's only possible on the basis of the work of the Son of Man, our Lord Jesus Christ. Hence, it is on the basis of that central promise in the covenant of grace that David exclaims and confesses, O Lord, God of the covenant, our Lord, who in Jesus Christ alone can be our Lord and our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And we, the church of the New Testament, beloved, must sing this song of praise with even greater amazement and praise because in our time, this name of the Lord has become manifested for sure in all the earth. The whole work of creation and redemption, the gospel of God's creation and recreation has been manifested in all the earth. How is that possible? For at the same time, there still is the reality of the rebellion of man, which made the unbelieving man an enemy of God. We have this gospel in the midst of a world which very much defies the, the Lord and corrupts the work of his hands. In fact, as time goes on, the enmity and hatred against the Lord and his anointed one will increase. In view of all that, how will this work of redemption succeed? In the midst of such enmity, how will the manifestation of the glory of the name of the Lord be maintained? Which brings us to our second point, how he has maintained that glory. How does the Lord cause his work to succeed? How does the Lord cause the glory of his name to be maintained? How does the Lord overcome the enmity and destroy his enemies? Brothers and sisters, does the Lord have a legion for that? A large army employing nuclear weapons? That's how we often are inclined to think, in a very earthly way, that is. God, however, works in a much different way. But don't forget, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. 
God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 27. God's bulwark is not a well-equipped army, heavily armed and well-trained. God does have a bulwark, though. However, anyone who does not believe will now begin to laugh and scorn. The Lord has babes and infants. By the mouth of children, babes, literally, an infant you have ordained strength, which also has been translated as founded a bulwark in the RSV, for instance. What's coming from the mouth of these helplessly dependent babes is God's bulwark. What's coming from the mouth of children conquers the enemy radically. How is that possible, beloved, that the glory of the Lord's name is maintained in that way? What is coming from the mouth of babes and infants? Is it just the fact that a baby's babbling can be so charming and disarming that it will endear the hardest heart? Is that how the Lord shows His glory? Or is it the amazement at the miracle of birth per se, which will continue to remind people of the glory of the Creator? Considering that the words used in our text could denote children of up to three or four years. Some say it is the children's songs and prayers, the child's spontaneity which is meant here. However true that may be, yet the word for babe also includes the ones that are a few days old or a week old. Sucklings they are. Babies that are still being nursed by the mother. And what is coming from their mouths? Not much piety and certainly no prayers or songs. A suckling cries, even screams at times. Yet even by the babes crying, the Lord has founded a bulwark against the enemy. How is that possible? Well, remember David's address, beloved. O Lord, our Lord. He is the Lord creator not only, but also the Lord of the covenant. He is the Lord who wanted to have these little ones circumcised on the eighth day who wants these babies baptized when they were not aware of it at all yet. He is the Lord who says, You are my child. God has set these crying and screaming babies apart. He wants to build His church with them and in that way work on the new mankind. They are transferred from the realm of Satan into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Today's children, beloved, are tomorrow's recruits in the army of the kingdom of God. And Satan knows that. When a child of the Lord cries, Satan hears his victor. So we don't look in the first place at what these little ones do or have, 
but we see what God is doing. God's own work with these little ones is his power in the battle against the enemy. The baby's cry beats the foe's bluff. As long as there are children of the Lord, Satan has not won, and he knows it. <coughs> In the way of the covenant, the Lord wants to maintain the glory of his name. That is then also in the way of the upbringing of the children. At the occasion of their baptism, we said, we pray through your beloved Son that you will always govern this child by your Holy Spirit that he or she may be nurtured in the Christian faith and in godliness and may grow and increase in the Lord Jesus Christ. And also, may he or she live in all righteousness under our only teacher, King and High Priest, Jesus Christ, and valiantly fight against and overcome sin, the devil, and his whole dominion. That work of the Holy Spirit becomes evident where these toddlers learn to pray. Many sins I've done Today, please, Lord, take them all away. Yes, for all the church the same, this I ask in Jesus' name. At school as well, they learn the song, Lord, may your kingdom come with haste. Lay Satan's dark domain to waste. That's God's work of maintaining his glory, arming his soldiers for the battle. They sing psalms, they learn their prayers, and receive their instruction in the Word of God at home and an education in a Christian school and in catechism classes. It is in that way, also beloved, that we see the second part of our text become reality. Namely, that thus these children of the Lord grow up to be the Lord's stewards in creation with dominion over the work of God's hands. All flocks and herds in and the beasts of the field, they become farmers, landscapers, engineers, teachers, technicians, carpenter or lawyer, homemaker, mothers of children, and they still have the sign of the covenant on their foreheads. They become a truly Christian grower and businessman. That's how the Lord maintains his glory in all the earth, recruiting and forming his army against his foes, equipping his witnesses in a godless world. Satan trembles when he hears and sees these children. He knows God's tactics and strategies. By the mouth of babes and infants, you have founded a bulwark because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Satan trembles when he hears the children's song and prayer lay Satan's dark domain to waste, for he knows that the Lord hears that prayer. God stills 
the enemy and the avenger upon the prayers of his children, including the infants. This way, beloved, the Lord chooses what is foolish in the world to maintain his work, to promote his honor, to manifest his glory. Our Lord Jesus Christ confirms this, where in Matthew 21, little children praise the Savior, singing, Hosanna to the Son of David. It irritates the unfaithful church leaders so that they say, Do you hear what these children are saying? Well, Jesus sure heard it, and he heard in it the words of God in our text. From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise. Then the Pharisees and scribes leave him. Even in the sight of his own disciples, the Lord Jesus displays this strategy of the Lord when he insisted that they let the children come to him, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. For in that way, his Father maintains his work and kingdom. In that way, the God of creation works out his glorious plan of recreation. In what way? Through Christ. How is it possible? That's how David responded to this reality already. What is man? That you are mindful of him. Yet you did crown him with honor and glory. And perhaps the Hebrews in the New Testament church may have frowned upon it too, brothers and sisters, or even laughed about it when they read the letter they received. It does not look that way at all. So how can the writer of this letter say it? All things in subjection under his feet, dominion over the works of God's hands. On the contrary, the opposite is the case. But then we hear the author express his understanding on the one hand when he says, at present, we do not yet see everything subject to him. On the other hand, however, he adds, but we do see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor, we see Jesus, our Savior, who has laid the basis for this restoration by his suffering, death, and resurrection. Now he, the risen man, he has received his crown already. The crown of glory and honor can be seen on him. And he is not just a loner in that position, but the first fruit. In him, God's paradise is open to us too again. In him, God has given man his office in his kingdom again. United with Jesus, God has set us with him in the heavenly places, as Paul puts it in Ephesians 2, verse 6. So how does that show? What does that mean to the Hebrews or to us? While the odds are against us and there is nothing glorious in our condition, brothers and sisters, there is the church. 
There are the children. There is the army of Christ. Yes, there is Jesus, and they live unto him who is their victor. He pleads in the throne of God upon the prayers of the children. He sanctifies in the sight of God the labors of the sons of God. He motivates his people to a God-fearing upbringing, to ongoing reformed education, to the utmost of their abilities, to increasing activities of mutual upbuilding in the communion of saints, to a performance in office and calling in this world. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? Why? To the glory of God the Father. Amen. <coughs> Let us pray. Almighty God, Heavenly Father, how wonderful is your work. How majestic is your plan. How glorious is the evidence of it in our lives. Father, we thank you for opening our eyes, not only to see the greatness of your creation, but also to see the strategy of your recreation, the work that you are doing in this world, the proclamation of your word in the church, the education of our children in the schools and in the catechism classes. Father in heaven, we thank and praise you that we may see it in the work that we may do every day. And we pray that it may be dedicated indeed to your honor and glory, that it may be performed in obedience to your name. Father, we thank you for the gospel, the glad tiding of salvation, and we thank you for the incentive to sing your praises, for you are so great, an awesome God. And we too will sing how great thou art. Hear us then when we praise you as our covenant Lord and as the ruler of the universe, who in Jesus Christ has given all authority and power to him for the church. Father, we thank you for working faith in all these miraculous promises, the mysterious work, and we may see how true the work is and the evidence will redound to your praise and glory. Hear us and receive our thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat>